Good morning. Um, we have 30 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, and I pray that it's a restful 25 minutes where you can sit and kind of be at peace in the midst of finishing up exams and heading out for spring break. Um, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, um, and it's, it's a wonderfully fitting and congruent passage with what we looked at um, on Wednesday when um, uh, Dr. Ward spoke in chapel. Uh, he talked on Psalm 1, and he talked about the blessed and the wicked man. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, we have a similar thing. We have a picture of the blessed and the wicked man, but it's the blessed and the wicked man in Christ. And it's a picture of sort of how Psalm 1 gets played out in one of the many ways that we see in Scripture. Um, so since you guys probably need this, we please stand as we read God's Word together? Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us in and through it. Please, by the power of your spirit, you be kind and gracious and speak the words that we need to hear this morning to us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so I know that you're all probably very familiar with that passage. You've heard it many times, but sometimes we don't talk about where that's coming from and why Paul was sort of um, led to say these things to the Ephesians. And it comes because he was talking in Ephesians 1 about a prayer and how he prays for them. He's lifting up uh, the Christians in Ephesus. He's lifting them up in prayer. And when he gets to the very end of the prayer, Paul says, and he put all things in subjection under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you get this, this remarkable picture of the unity of Christ and his church. That the church is actually the fullness of him who fills all in all. Um, Jesus, when he was alive in his ministry, talked about us. That those who would come after him, that his children, those who are engrafted into his vine, would actually do greater things than he would himself. And here, Paul's making this like almost crazy claim that it is the church who is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That by the grace and the glory and the providence of God, we being united to Christ are the fullness of Christ being worked out in the world. And then Paul, almost caught up, says, and here's who you are. But in order to get to who you are, we have to talk about who you were. And he starts off and he says, 
You were dead in your offenses and your sins. And Paul uses those synonymously, offenses and sins. So he's saying, you were dead in your sins in in which you previously walked according to the course of this world. So the course of this world, he's talking about where people have hearts of stone. He's talking about where the minds of unbelievers are blinded by the God of this age. He's talking about a world where, where the rulers, in their wisdom, put the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, to death. Where they thought that crucifying the creator was actually wise. This is according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The devil, the deceiver, the prince of the power of the air, literally uh, having, having control and power over the realm of this fallen world. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The spirits that we have that are receptive to the prompting of the deceiver. That is who we are as we are dead in our sins. Our spirits in our fallen, broken self are responsive to the prompting of the evil one who would make us think that putting Jesus Christ to death was good and wise. The sons of disobedience is what he calls us. Children not of God, but really children of self. And then he goes on and expands on it a little bit more. Among them too, we all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh. Paul was writing to uh, a Gentile audience. But he's saying that we too, the Jews, we were not exempt from that. We too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And when we talk about this, when we talk about living in the lusts of flesh, we might tend to think of Galatians 5, the list of evil behaviors. But what's fascinating here is he talks about Paul talks about and points out the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And in Romans chapter 8, when Paul is talking about the mind, he talks about the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. And the mind of the spirit is the mind of life and peace. That's what sets the mind of the spirit apart. It's the mind of life and peace. It's the opposite of the mind of the flesh. He calls it the mind of the flesh is death. And this is the mind, this is what we tend to indulge, this is what those who were not in Christ, apart from Christ, subject to the rule of the prince of the power of the air, this is how they lived and what they indulged in their own minds and their own hearts, the things that were apart from and opposed to Christ. And they were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. And when we talk about children of wrath, it's great, I think, that scripture oftentimes gives us pictures of what these things mean, right? Because we could describe what a child of wrath is. But if you go back into the Old Testament, you look at the story of David. When Nathan comes before David and he tells him the, uh, the parable of the lamb, you guys know this, there once was a man, a very rich man. Do you know the veggie tales, right? Um, right? Uh, actually, what time is it? Do you guys want to watch that? Yeah, hit it, Sydney. Do it. Yeah. 
truth, Dory. As surely as I stand before you today, my story is true. Who is that man? Tell me. To take the lamb of the poor man, when he had lots of sheep of the poor man only had one. Man! For his cruelty, he will spend the rest of his days locked in my dungeon. You can kill it. Who is he? Oh, King George, you I bet, I bet you didn't see the twist coming at the end there, did you? Uh, that may have been a bad idea because I feel like spring break just started. <laughs> but, um, but David calls that man a son of death because he rightly deserved the judgment of death. Um, and that is what it means to be a child of wrath. So you have that first section in Ephesians 2 there, and it's really a picture of being under God's wrath. And then we have the but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which, he, with which he loved us. The answer to the deadness and apartness from Christ is love. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, what we were, we were made, he made us alive together with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live by faith the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, that my life is now completely united to Christ. He made us alive together with Christ, and Paul is so taken, he says, that by grace you've been saved. You have to understand that this is all undergirded by grace. It is undeserved, and it is a gift. He made us together, he made us alive together with him, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him. And it's fascinating here, because this is not typically Pauline. So when Paul talks about these things typically, when he talks about being raised with Christ, when he talks about being seated with Christ, it's almost always future. He's looking to what happens at the return of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, that we'll be raised in glory with Christ, that we'll be seated at the right hand of Christ. But here he's saying, it has happened. This is who you are now. You are so engrafted into Christ. You are so with Christ, he in us and us in him that we are actually raised with him to newness of life. We are given new minds and new hearts, and we are seated at the right hand of God, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I think Paul does this for a reason. I think Paul is saying that because it makes, us, makes it clear to us that this new life in Christ, this grace that we've been given, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms so that we are no longer subject to the prince of the power of the air, who has rule over the heavenly realms of this fallen world. No, we are now raised victorious and seated with Christ victorious over the prince of the power of air. So while our hearts were once pricked and prompted by the temptations of the evil one, they are now pricked and prompted and ready and receptive to the Holy Spirit of God. So that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And F.F. F. Bruce has such a cool way of he, that, to describe this. When he's talking about these ages to come, he says, imagine the waves of, of a sea just kind of gently lapping. It's wave after wave after wave, generation after generation after generation, up to eternity, and then all the way through the very end of eternity. 
that Christ shows his boundless riches, his love, and his grace towards us as we look at his people. The people that in love he saved by uniting us to himself through faith. So that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, all of salvation, is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. It is all by grace. It excludes merit. You don't deserve it and you can't earn it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. For we are his workmanship. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We literally are, are ushered and ushering in the new heavens and the new earth. They came into existence in this new order. Christ comes as the first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth. We, engrafted into Christ, begin to live out the here, the already, and the not yet is still coming. But the new heavens and the new earth actually exist in his church, which are the fullness of Christ. But we are created for a purpose, right? And hear this, this is so good. Um, if, you, if you look at Simon Sinek, um, start with why, we always want to know why we're doing the things that we do. And oftentimes, when you look at Scripture and when you look at being called into Christ, there are a number of whys, and we want to grasp and look at all of them. But this one here, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Created for good works. So, when we talk about good works, I think it's easy to think of doing the right thing. It's easy to think about um, not doing bad things and doing good things. But what is Paul talking about? When you look at the law, the law was given so that we might be like God. Gives the law the reflection of his character and says, be holy because I am holy. When Jesus talks about his children, he talks about let the children of God be merciful as God is merciful. And here, he's saying we're created to reflect God, to do good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. And hear that, the walk in them is, is intentionally and beautifully the opposite of when you were dead in your offenses and your sins and you previously walked according to the courses of this world, now, since you're alive, you are to walk according to the purposes and the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to live in and walk in. So what are those good works? Yes, those good works are being holy because God is holy. Those good works are abstaining from that which is evil and the promptings that the devil tries to hit us with about being merciful as God is merciful. But here, and I think this is beautiful, this whole passage is about grace. It's about the grace that God extended to us even though we're not deserving. And I think one of the jobs that we're called to is to be agents of grace in this world, to reflect the grace of Jesus Christ in the world around us. And it's such a beautiful, there, there's not a, here, be agents of grace, therefore do this, 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 and this. It's a call where you sit before the Lord and say, Lord, how can I be an agent of grace to those around me? Well, we look at what grace is, right? We know a few things about it. It's born out of love, 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive by grace. So it's born in love. If you want to know how to extend grace to the people around you, know that it's born in love. It begins with loving the people around you. But then there's another piece of grace that's absolutely essential. It, it's not deserved. It's not loving someone that you feel bound to or that you feel like you have. No, you're extending a love. You're extending acts. You're extending mercy and compassion and kindness and friendship without any thought of it being returned, without any merit being extended. It's not an owing. It, it's a, a pouring out of love that is so not worldly that people can only say, oh, that was grace. Being agents of grace in this world, it's born in love. It's not in any way connected to merit or deserving, but it's the kind of thing that creates new hearts. It's the kind of thing that makes people, when they experience that grace, it changes and transforms because when they see grace being extended to them, they get to see reflections of Jesus. When you are an agent of grace to the people around you, you reflect Jesus Christ to them, perhaps in ways that you have no idea you're doing, perhaps in ways more beautiful than you could grasp, perhaps in times that you don't even know how deeply they need it. But guys, we are the church knit together by the blood of Jesus, the fullness of Christ in this world. And we, by the power of the Spirit, are given the ability to extend the grace of Christ to one another. Can you think of what this campus would look like, what our churches would look like, what our families would look like if we took seriously our call to be agents of grace, to not be fighting for self, to not be thinking about our own good, to not be thinking about how others are thinking of us, but instead to be thinking of those around us and how we might be agents of grace to them. Born in love, totally separated from merit. That is what Christ has called us to do, for we are his workmanship. We are created in him for good works, and he prepared those good works from before the very beginning of time. That means that there are no chance encounters. The people that you bump into in an elevator, the people that you drive by on the freeway, the people you bump into in a gas station, your roommate that you end up bumping into, like, there is no chance. God has prepared these opportunities for us and then empowers us by giving us his Holy Spirit that we can actually do this thing that he's calling us to do. That's awesome stuff. It's so good because it helps us to get out of self. We're so tempted. We're so dead in our, when we were dead in our sins and, and offenses, it's, it's always looking in, but we can actually look out and know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do something with it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful and encouraging and life-giving and challenging. And Lord, I thank you that it's alive and that you speak to us through it, that you call us to be your children. Um, Father, will you be gracious to us over this spring break? Will you help us to remember that those you place in our paths are not there by circumstance? Will you help us to act 
uh, in love and grace towards those around us. Will you help us to reflect you? Father, we love you. We give you thanks and praise. Please protect our students as they go forth. Give them safe travel. Give them wisdom as they rest. And I pray, Lord, that you uh, will be reflected in all of our lives. In Christ's name we pray.